Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very excited to be joined by a very special guest today. We know him as John Sakari. A lot of you know him as the Big Fat Panda. John, how are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are so excited to have you on today. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I have to ask you, you know, so we're doing Into the Woods today, and we hooked up with John about two months ago, and I said, hey, man, we're, we're kind of bouncing some ideas off of you. What, what kind of, what movie do you want to do? And we were kind of surprised when you would come back and sit Into the Woods. Like, what made you choose this one? You know, I think it's one of the, not just a Disney movie, because I guess technically it didn't start as a Disney thing, that I was drawn to, uh, I saw it as a play, and then I, as you know, like a high school play. Then I went and searched out the Broadway play with Bernadette Peters, who to me is like legendary as a kid. I remember her. My sister, I think, was into her. And that's how I got introduced to her being a small child. So it's just, yeah, it's a weird, and it's weird. It's kind of weird. It's almost like you have to, you know, when you eat something, you have to get an acquired taste. I kind of feel like that's into the woods. I totally agree. I loved it on the big screen. And then we watched it a couple of times to prep for the show. And I, I was, I didn't enjoy it as much. I thought that was kind of weird. But now, the more I watch it, the more I like it. I, I was introduced to Bernadette Peters by watching The Jerk, so I had a very <laughs> different. Oh, yeah. Wait, and wasn't there like a robot one? She was in Heart Bleeps or Beeps, and I think that was Disney. That's my first memory of Bernadette. Pe- it's an old movie. You guys are too young to know this movie. We'll have to seek it out. I'm sure we'll end up doing it on the show eventually. She is amazing, though, because I did start listening to some of the original Broadway cast recordings, and yes. she's just she's an amazing singer, and she sounds beautiful. Yeah, and as much as I love, what is it, Meryl Streep, right? She, yeah. she did it. I still, I don't know. I'm kind of undecided between her and Bernadette, and usually Meryl would be, you know, the top. But right, Bernadette is uh, she's good. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised they didn't cast her. Me too. I really am. But I don't see her being. I mean, I guess maybe the stage makeup is different. I don't think they could have like uglied her up enough. Which this, could... this is like blasphemous that I'm saying that about. You know, Mer- if Meryl, Meryl is listening, Jackie, she's gonna be <laughs> really mad. <manic>. No I'm kidding. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I know it's true. You never know. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it's Meryl Streep. You can't really go wrong I think, with her I either. think it was, uh, I think a lot of people just don't know who Bernadette Peters is today, maybe. And true. Meryl is, you know. Meryl, she so. hasn't done anything in a while, so it's true. Yeah. She might not have filled seats the same way that Meryl would have. Yeah, I agree. I think most modern audiences, especially young people, only know Bernadette Peters because of Deadpool. And that's the truth. I think yeah. they only know who she is because he had that, what was that, that penny purse or whatever it was? Yes, yes. yes. I, that. I think yeah. that's, uh, for a lot of people, that's their introduction to her. Um, so you guys know from listening to us that every now and again we'll go ahead and do a linear review, which isn't totally our format, but um, talk to us in an hour and 15 minutes and ask us why we did a linear review of this <laughs> movie. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's convoluted, and I don't mean that in a bad way. There's just a lot going on. And I remember when we saw this in theaters for the first time, and, and John, I'm sure the same for you, and, and also when you saw the play, I thought after 90 minutes the movie was done. I was like, oh, clear cut yes. ending, perfect. Right. And no, yes. not at all. Not As at a all. matter of fact, I sometimes will watch just the first part and be done with it. I do think the second part is uh, sometimes difficult. It's it's interesting. 
but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna save I'm gonna save the rest. I, I don't okay. want to bury the lead. So let's get right into it. So the movie starts. We're introduced to Cinderella, Jack the Baker, and his wife in their village outside of the woods. Cinderella wants to go to the king's festival. Jack wants his cow to produce milk. The baker and his wife want a child. Uh, Red Riding Hood. We also meet her. She wants to bring a loaf of bread to her granny in the woods. Um, I have to say immediately the cast fantastic i thought that they were all so good in the first two minutes of this movie um it's an ensemble cast you have anna kendrick you have james corden um you have emily blunt we do get introduced to merrill um within the first five or ten minutes immediately star-studded cast but they're all hitting on on every level this is like the perfect combination of a great cast meeting the music and the way that it's shot and put together it it hits on all cylinders that opening number yeah i totally agree and i love how cinderella calls to the birds for help what was it the (laughs) um the lentils yes (laughs) it was just it was uh, now i have no frame of reference i haven't seen the original play but if it's not in the original um, it is. It is. Okay. It is. So I can see right away where Disney's easily woven into this because it's done. But the thing is, it's not done tongue in cheek. It's not like when we talked about Enchanted. Right. You know, it's done in a serious manner. But I love it's how liter- they throw- it's literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love how they throw back to that. You have to watch the original one day. It's on video, like a, like a professionally done video with the original cast. And I think it was on Netflix for a while. It might even be somewhere just to get a, a, a reference of you know, this versus this. It's kind of interesting. Sure. I'm definitely interested in doing that because here is my only gripe with that opening number. And it's something that I've noticed with a lot of these musicals being turned into film. Um, And Les Mis was really, really guilty of this is when you have the big ensemble cast, it sometimes doesn't translate over because if there are two different characters harmonizing, you're if they're not in the same it's it, like if it's not the baker and his wife for example there's a point where it's the baker and cinderella that are singing together and they're not at the same point in the village so you don't see them both on screen and to me that's sometimes yes. very very jarring this I, wasn't I, so bad about it i know what you mean in the play it's it is interesting the way it does let's just say off the bat and this is just my comment that i was so surprised when i saw how they could mash up all the fairy tales and how they came together and the woods, I guess, is kind it's, you know, in the show, it's literal, but it's kind of a metaphor as to the woods is where you go to get what you need. And I'm sure we'll get more into that. But I, you know, it, it connects with me with life and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that the movie and I guess this is true of the play, too, is that it wastes no time getting them in there. Like you learn what they all need and then they're off. They're going. I think that first soundtrack number is like 13 minutes that sets up the, the thing. Mm-hmm. And I've actually done like a walk where I've had a walk for, you know, 15 minutes fast. And I've used that as the barometer. Like I just hit play, go, and that's my barometer for, okay, wow, 14 or 13 minutes has gone by. Yeah. Yeah. Prologue and Into the Woods actually is its proper title. Um, and I think it's, it's a really, like, it's, it's, an, it's an earworm. Like I get it in my head and it's stuck – I haven't been able to kick this song. And it's, I don't know all of the words. It's impossible to know all the words to a 13-minute song other than maybe Freebird. But um, <laughs> but I can't, I can't kick this song. I haven't been able to kick it for, for over a week. 
It's everything. It's the cadence of the song and the wordplay in the lyrics. I mean, that's that's Sondheim. That has nothing to do with Disney how, or the cast. It's just incredible. How clever is some of those words put together? When we get to that one part with uh, the mom and the son with the cow, I want to just mention that something about the words because I just couldn't. I was like, wow. That was did- the part that I was going to say. Go ahead. Right. Take it, please. <laughs> well, should we wait till we get there? Yeah, we'll okay. get there yeah, in just a second. I don't want to jump around too much. But yeah, the words to me were like, whoa, how did you make that make sense? And yeah. <laughs> so the witch comes into the home of the baker and his wife and informs them that she has cursed their home because the baker's father stole from the witch's garden. The witch spared his life in exchange for his baby daughter. The witch has uh, was also cursed with the loss of her good looks when the baker stole her magic beans. The witch cursed the family with a barren family tree. Jack is then sent to the next village to sell the cow. Let's talk for a second about the witch's rap. Nowadays, it's common that, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and somebody throws in a rap somewhere. But back then when this was made, this was not a common thing. The witch does a rap. Right. And that's where Meryl Streep really does shine. Yes. Where, you know, in the beginning, I I was just like, you know, I mean, that's the thing. She's incredibly talented, but I feel like there's a lot of overhyping around Meryl Streep. But it's at that point where I'm like, OK, I totally get it. She just nails it. With that being said, though, I also think Bette Midler would have been an interesting casting choice oh. to bring that Winifred Sanderson panache to it. Yeah, that would have been a good choice, actually. Um, it's funny. Angelica Houston, maybe. Ooh. Too. All right, I'm done hating. No, Angelica on Houston. <laughs> that's 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 a really interesting. Um, that would have been interesting casting because we know we remember. For those of you who have seen Captain EO, you want to talk about somebody that you can ugly up and then turn beautiful. Do you right. think me beautiful? Ugh. That's my favorite part of that whole thing. It's love ridiculous, it. but I love it. Um. But she would have been very interesting uh, casting as well. Yeah, and she can she can sing. Yeah, she definitely can. Um, it's funny that you bring up the Lin Manuel Miranda thing because thanks to this movie, I was finally able to kick the Mary Poppins Return soundtrack out of my head, which I had to download as soon as I left the movie theater. Um, Still in my head. Yeah, and I I just we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago. I was like so up in arms when they said that he's going to rap in that movie. I was like, you don't rap in a Mary Poppins movie, but. They did it subtly in that film the same way it was subtle here. I think she's actually faster. Yeah. I think she hits the beat a little bit faster. I remember the play that I saw. Like the, the first time I was introduced to Into the Woods was a high school play. And when that rap came on, I was like looking around the, like, is everybody okay with this? Because I feel awkward and uneasy and I don't know what I'm watching. <laughs> it took me time to, be, to, to absorb the art. And, and enjoy it. <laughs> and even to absorb the plot, too, because there was a moment where I was watching this. I mean, the witch essentially just bursts in the door and she's like, OK, I know that you can't have a child and I know why. And I was like, where did you come from? You're a really creepy <laughs> neighbor. Um, Honey, we've been neighbors for a long time. You could have told me this last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like, what are you watching through the windows? <laughs> How do you know this? Um So towards the end, it's finally revealed, like towards the end of Meryl Streep's portion of the song, the witch does reveal that she's placed the curse on the house because the baker's father stole from her garden and he took the magic beans, which her mother told her never, ever to lose. And now that's 
why she is cursed with ugliness. Right. Um, so now here we are, Jack and his mom, Tracy Ullman, with, and she's great in this movie too. Yeah. I forgot to mention her before. Um, she smacks this kid constantly. <laughs> she smacks him <laughs> she around <does>. a lot. <laughs> but uh, she sends him off to go sell the cow. He doesn't want to sell the cow because he says it's the cow's his friend. But the cow hasn't milked in weeks. They're running out of money, and they don't. They 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 barely you know they barely get by as it is, and they're living within their means. And when you have a cow that doesn't milk, you have no means. It's summed up by the line. You want to take it now, Panda? Yeah, well, the, when she says there are bugs on her dugs, there are flies in her eyes, there's a rump on her hump big enough to be a lump. No, no, rump. There's a lump on her hump big enough to be a, a stump. I, I think, think so. Yeah. We've no time to sit and dither while her withers with her while her withers wither with her. Yep. What? That's it. That it's is it. crazy that those are real words that fit correctly. I give you credit for actually pulling that off. I'm <laughs> I'm a little crazy with this this soundtrack and the speed with <laughs> which it's delivered. I mean, you you must they must have had to rehearse that. I, I can't you, even fathom how many times. They also changed some lines from the original. I don't know if you have that written anywhere. Do you know that? I know they did take a few liberties in some of the songs, but I'm not admittedly not familiar enough with the musical right. to know exactly they, what they did. They kept some lines that I was shocked that they kept. There's a part where the witch talks about raping her arugula or yes. whatever. Yes. They kept that. And then when it comes to Tracy Ullman talking to the kid, she says, sometimes I fear you're touched. Or, or I don't know if that's the old line or the new line. I forgot what the old one was. Oh. But it was a little – it was inappropriate for – you know, somebody that was on the spectrum or something, so they took it out. I don't know if touched was the accepted word or the... I have to hear it again and figure out, but there is a... They did change a few words. And some that I thought they would change, they didn't. So. Yeah, the whole raping of the arugula. It's not usually something you think of when you look at a salad. And, exactly. uh, <laughs> and I remember being taken aback the first time I saw it, and then re-watching it again, I was like, well, I, f I forgot about that. I'm wondering that's if that's something too that because she's going so fast they figured eh, let it go because it's yeah. it, you really got to be paying attention for it. I know uh, Sondheim was included in this to make any changes that were needed. So at least I feel you know if somebody else did it to his work I would have been a little more upset. But it's nice to know that he did it and chose what you know what could be changed. Right. right. So we cut back to the witch being with the baker and his wife, and the witch says that she needs a potion to revoke the curse, and to do so, she needs a cow as white as milk, a cape as red as blood, hair as yellow as corn, and a slipper as pure as gold. The baker sets off into the woods to find these items, but not before his wife finds the missing beans in his father's old coat. Cinderella goes into the woods to visit her mother's grave because she wants to speak to her about her uh, wish to go to the festival. She wishes... Uh, wishes on her mother's grave to go and is gifted with a gown to wear. While Red Riding Hood is walking to Granny's house, she is intercepted by the big bad wolf who tries to lure her in, but uh, he clearly has evil intentions. The big bad wolf being played by Johnny Depp. Absolutely outstanding. Hello, little girl is such... It That song makes your skin crawl. That's something where we're talking about changing lyrics and taping taking liberties where I'm very surprised that they left in because that whole song has a feeling of pedophilia that I cannot shake. 
I totally agree. And I love Johnny Depp. Yeah. You know, in a weird way, though, I'm kind of glad that they didn't take it out as uncomfortable as it is because the fact is there are people... You, we just read about one today um, at one of the malls here on, on Long Island. Somebody tried to abduct a kid. He got away. Like These are some of the realities of the world. And we know that Disney kind of does take responsibility with teaching people the ways of the world, teaching children the ways of the world. Usually, though, it's much more subdued than this. Well, yeah, was this PG or PG-13? Do we remember? Um, that's a good question. We can look it up. Uh, PG. For those that PG, can't yeah. see, both of them just looked to one side and it was so funny. <laughs> I, okay, we so have it's, another it's, computer it's on the side of us. It's PG. PG. We have many oh, monitors, okay. many that monitors set up in this room. Yeah, it is very predator, predator-ish. Although, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was saying it's, it's not even ish. It's, it's, he's a predator, a big time predator. I mean, if we're talking about this in terms of though, that the woods is a metaphor for everything. Red's story is that her mother told her not to stray from the path. So that's the lesson in her story is that this is what could happen to a child if you don't do as you're told, or if you go and follow a stranger. Although let me tell you, I would follow Johnny Depp to the end of the earth. <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Um, was it me or was Johnny Depp's real British accent coming out a lot more in this? I don't know. He teeters back and forth so much. I mean, I, like, I know he's an expat. I know he's in France. And I think he kind of did like the Madonna thing where he's like acquired some kind of okay. nondescript European accent. Um, but I think he was kind of channeling because this was actually not his first foray into Sondheim. He did Sweeney Todd, which is amazing. Oh, that's right. Also, Helena Bonham Carter probably could have played the witch in this movie. <gasps> but... Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, I think he's great. I think he sounds great. Um, and I love the wolf's costume. I love that they didn't really like do too much with the fur, that they kind of put him in spats and just like left the fur abstract. It's pretty cool looking. What I like about this is that they could have easily done some CGI on him or they could have done a bodysuit, but they they left it very practical. So you do get the feeling as if you're watching a musical just played out on screen. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think for this, I'm not certain that they actually sung while they were filming as opposed to, uh, you know, lip syncing over themselves. If I watch the making of it, I'm almost positive. Correct. They did right. sing oh, okay. live, um, but I think there were a couple of places where they couldn't use it, like if something echoed or if it just wasn't clean, then they would kind of interchange them. But for the most part, they just let them go. Right, because there's, there's footage of James Corden and they're like, lip sync for the first two takes and then really sing for the next one. So I'm, gotcha. yeah, obviously they had, they had them record these songs, but I think they tried to do it as as much in real time and in live action, so to speak, as, as they could. Which is really impressive if we think back to the first song that we were just talking about and they're rapping and the speed of it and they're doing that full out. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so the witch intercepts the baker and explains uh, to him that she isn't to touch any of the items uh, that he's bringing her and pushes him to get the cape from Red Riding Hood. Um, his wife turns up in the woods to try and help him um, and much to his dismay, she's there. He wants nothing to do with her in those woods because he's concerned for her safety. And I kind of got the feeling that there was a little bit of a macho thing going on there, too with him like i do think he was concerned for her well-being but 
I, I felt that he was more like, I have to take care of this. This is my father that did this to us. And I think he had kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, I'm the man here and I'm going to go take care of this. Which is funny because it's James Corden. <laughs> it, no, and I, I think this is kind of where you start to see the crack in their relationship as well. Yeah. Because it seems like she has no faith in him. Yep. I agree with that. And that's why she kind of shows up there because it, I, I almost feel like she's taking a... Um, she knows he's going to mess it up. Yeah, like if you want something done, do it yourself kind of approach, which we should also talk about. You know, it, it's great that we're doing this movie as our first review of the year because we're coming on the heels of Mary Poppins Returns. And this was Emily Blunt's, you know, one of her first Disney roles. It was after yeah. Muppets, but she doesn't sing in Muppets, so... This was technically her first, uh, you know, Disney musical. This was my first time actually recognizing who this person is. Like, I didn't know Emily Blunt prior to this. I probably should have, but I didn't. She, um, I think her real breakout was actually her first role with Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada. She played the receptionist, but you don't really remember because it's, right, you know, Anne Hathaway's right. movie. Um, yeah, and then she kind of reprises that role in Muppets because she plays another snobby oh. receptionist for Miss Piggy. And she was very uncomfortable with the idea of singing in this movie because she had never sung on film before. Which is crazy because the way that she delivers, I really thought she was like some classically trained singer. Yeah. How can you be that good at something and be so scared of doing it? Yeah, exactly. She's an extraordinary talent without question. Um, so the baker and his wife, uh, wife run into Jack and they trade him five magic beans, quote unquote magic beans, because they don't know that they're magic yet for his cow under the promise that one day he could buy the cow back. The baker sends his wife home with the cow and is set on finding the rest of the items on his own. We are then introduced to Rapunzel, the child that the witch took from the baker's father. And we learn that there is a prince who is smitten with Rapunzel. Uh, Red Riding Hood approaches Granny's house and sees the doors cracked open. She learns that the wolf has eaten Granny before she, too, is consumed. The baker hears her scream, kills the wolf, and frees Red and Granny. Um, I'll be be honest with you. I would have been fine if uh, the baker did not slay the wolf. (laughs) I would have been perfectly fine with it. Yeah, the little girl who plays Red Riding Hood is so talented, but I feel like at some points she's a bit too extra with some of those notes that she's hitting. I got to watch that again to see that, but I, I think so. I think, I mean, listen, for what they asked her to do, clearly, I think we've all heard the story of Red Riding Hood before, and I think that there's sort of a caricature and a stereotype that comes with that character. Make no mistake about it, she nails it. She knocks it out of the park. But I didn't need to see her for the next two hours. I was fine with this being the end. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) the moment she comes on screen, though, and she starts taking all the rolls and the sweets from the baker, though, I I just kind of want to punch her in the mouth. And that feeling doesn't change throughout the rest of the movie. She's, She's a little annoying. We've talked on this show before about some of the, like, know-it-all quip machine child actors that you saw, especially in, like, late 80s and early 90s movies, and I thought that we were past that. This was a product of the 80s, though. Into the Woods was 1987. It's true. So it is still kind of a product of its time. 
Um, Red thanks him by giving her, uh, giving him her cape. Jack returns home to his mother's dismay with the beans in exchange for the cow. She tosses the beans on the grass while she punishes Jack, and the beanstalk begins to grow. I think she hits him again, too. Yeah, at least once, and then sends him to bed with no supper. Just to say something about the Little Red Riding Hood, something she says at the end of her song, isn't it nice to know a lot and a little bit not? There's so many little nuances here that I love that, where it's good to have the knowledge, but sometimes you just don't want to know certain things. You'd rather be innocent than to know some of the ugly. Yeah, and that I just song, love, I Know Things Now. Yes, I just love the way some of these songs... Uh, if you really do think about them, you know, first of all, a, a child can listen to it and just think it's a nice tune, but an adult can really extract a lot of different things from these words. Mm-hmm. I think that's the moment you know, like you're not in Kansas anymore with this music. Yep. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's so smart and it's so intelligent and um, it's it's just so well thought out and so creative with the lyrics and and it's shown no better than the next song, A Very Nice Prince, because we go back to the woods to see Cinderella running from the festival and into the woods where she stumbles upon the baker's wife who helps her hide from the prince. Uh, That's when she sees Cinderella's glass slippers. She tries to pursue her, but the cow runs away. But they have this really interesting interaction where they're discussing, in in other words, they're having a conversation about what it's like to be at the festival and with the prince and how he's a very nice prince, but instead of having just a regular dialogue it's totally done through music and i love the two of them on screen together we haven't talked about anna kendrick yet um she's amazing in this she's just classy right yeah that's what she she just gives me a feeling of class yeah if you go back and listen to our first episode for those who are catching up we do the little mermaid and we discuss when they do a live action little mermaid because eventually they will assuming she still looks young enough to do it she's our pick for ariel oh anna kendrick would do that great yeah We then see Jack come into the woods with five gold pieces, and they're huge. Um, He stole them from the giant, which he did by climbing up the beanstalk, in order to buy his cow back, which now the baker has refused to do. The baker then runs into his wife as she tries to find the cow. And uh, you talk before about how you start to see the cracks in their relationship, it kind of comes to a head here, as brief as it is. Mm-hmm. It's, you lost the cow, but you might have lost the cow, but I didn't, but you did. And it's it's a very, um, it's it's kind of a childish argument. Yeah. You know, and you, you, you see where they, are, they really do have that imperfect marriage where clearly they've had issues that have stemmed further from not being able to have a yeah, child. Absolutely. There's absolutely a history there. Um, now, as the wife makes her way home, she overhears a conversation in the woods between the two princes as they discuss Rapunzel's hair. So the baker's wife heads back into the woods to get Rapunzel's hair, this being the prince that is smitten with Rapunzel and the prince that is chasing after Cinderella. She tricks Rapunzel into letting her hair down and steals a large lock of it by cutting it off against a jagged piece of metal on her tower. Um, clearly, the witch wants no one to find Rapunzel because she has these almost jagged spears that she has built into the tower as a way of keeping people away and keeping pe- keeping people from climbing the tower, which is never going to work if all Rapunzel needs to do is let her hair down. Right. 
Um, so she gets the the big piece of it as she cuts it off. Um, Cinderella runs from the festival again, and the baker's wife runs into her again and twice fails to retrieve her gold slipper. The baker, meanwhile, comes across the cow, followed by his wife, who present who pre- uh, presents him with the lock of hair. So now they have three of the four items. Um, so he now lets her stay with him in the woods. It's kind of that full circle moment where he's like, well, we're going to have to do this together. Because up to this point, they have literally worked together unknowingly to find the first three of the four items. Well, yes, One of and... my favorite songs. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say one of my favorite songs. It takes two. Yep. I do love that part, but I disagree with you as far as them working together, though, because instead, after she overhears the conversation, instead of going back to tell him she knows where to find the hair, she again just goes and does it herself. And it's further driving that point home that she doesn't trust him to get the job done. Yes and no. Uh, You're right. She doesn't trust him to get it done, but unless the two of them are working simultaneously, they don't have the three items. But he does ask her that at one point. He He keeps saying, why do we keep splitting up? And the answer is never like divide and conquer. She always just leaves him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um... So Jack comes back into the woods now with a golden egg to buy his cow back. However, Milky White drops dead in front of them. (laughs) (laughs) Which, Panda, that is the exact reaction that I had and continue to have every time that that poor cow keels over. (laughs) Um, So if there is a local play anywhere putting this on, no matter how many schools do it, go see it because... The way they kill the cow and how it happens is different, and it's so funny to see how they tackle trying to do these things on stage. And it's different in like every college, every high school. So just if you have a chance, do that. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, pretty funny. I'm curious have... to see how they'd pull that now off I'm live. S- yeah. I'm surprised that we didn't see like a a Disney funded revival of this on Broadway after this movie came out. Not that it was a huge box office success. It only made 200, only made 200 million at the box office against the $50 million budget. But frozen came out the year before this. That's why. Uh, yeah. That's why we've not seen it. Yeah. Maybe it eventually. Could, it, still down could down ha- it still could happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. In time. Um, so the witch watches the prince leave Rapunzel's tower and punishes him by blinding him and then punishes Rapunzel by cutting off her hair. Jack then runs into Red in the woods, whom he shows the golden egg to. She challenges him to steal the giant's harp, which he does, but not before being chased by the giant who is killed when Jack cuts down the beanstalk. I skipped over a part where Tracy Ullman sees the beanstalk for the first time and she <laughs> just stares at it for a second and gives that blood curdling scream. That beat that she takes before the scream, though, it's great. Um, Cinderella then flees the ball for a third time. However, she gets stuck in tar that the prince has left on the steps, which gets us to our next song, On the Steps of the Palace. Another great song. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, Panda, because the look on your face says it all. I just, I love the song because the song is really just her deciding what to do. Uh, I don't remember all the words or anything like that, but I do remember she's, she's, everything stops like time stops and she has to decide, does she continue to run? Does she, 
you know, try to get the slip. And the ending, I do think they changed it also. I think Sondheim changed it for the movie where she comes up with her decision. And her decision, again, which is great to me, is to make a non-decision. Exactly. She doesn't have to decide. I know Jackie knows more of this than I do. Even. I Yeah, I was going to say this is the one where I know that they changed the words to. Um because I, I think it is such a big character moment for her. And I love that they added so much depth to Cinderella that, um, you know, and even this is one of those those songs with the amazing wordplay where she's talking about what if what if I'm not who he thinks that he wants or um, it, it, the words are too confusing. I'm not yeah, even things I never this. knew stuck in the goo and it keeps going and going. Um. Yeah, but it, it's just interesting because this is where you really start to see that this is such the anti-Disney fairy tale because, of course, the girl wants to print the girl wants the prince, but we're seeing her so conflicted over she doesn't know if she can live up to the princess role and she knows who she really is and it's not that she wants to be a peasant and at the mercy of her stepmother and sisters, but she knows that she might not be able to put on the dress and play the part the way that she's going to be expected to if she stays with the prince. Right. As you pointed out before, she doesn't want to choose to stay. Rather, she wants him to choose that he wants her for what she is. So, as we alluded to, she leaves that one slipper in the tar for him to find. Uh, As Cinderella continues to run into the woods, uh, again, um, she runs into the baker's wife who offers her a magic bean for her shoe. Cinderella tosses the bean aside, trades her slippers for the wife's shoes so she can continue to run from the prince uh, while a new beanstalk starts to grow into the sky unbeknownst to those around it. It was at that moment that I saw it, and I think I literally said out loud, uh-oh. <laughs> and, you know... What I really enjoy about this movie is that there's a lot going on, and it's done so in a really creative way, but also in an intelligent way, because it tricks you, I I alluded to it before, it tricks you into thinking that the film's over because you've forgotten about the second Beanstalk. Right. Completely. And it feels like it's over. It feels like it ended. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like how could anybody, even creatively, have any more to give after this whole thing? Right, which really shows the brilliance of Sondheim and all of those who went into creating this, the play and then the film. Um, So while trying to find his bride, the prince waits outside while Cinderella's stepsisters try on the slipper, which each of them fit into, but only after their mother cuts off a toe from one, the heel from another. Uh, Can I just say... Um, that the stepmother and the evil stepsisters are absolutely perfect in this movie. Oh, what was, is it Catherine Baranski? I forget her Christine first name. Christine Baranski. Yeah. She, is she the great, per, too bad her part isn't even, I could see a whole movie with just them. She never gets enough credit. Like for me, she steals the show in Chicago. She's a brilliant singer and I absolutely love her in this. You know, she always seems to get these bit parts, but I feel like it yeah. works for her because mm-hmm. she had it in this. She had it, as you said, in Chicago. In the Jim Carrey Grinch movie, she's got it. Um, and now, more recently on How I... Uh, not How I Met Your Mother. Big on Bang Big Bang Theory. Theory yeah. she's, uh, she's Leonard's mother. And, and I love in. her on that, too. Yeah, because what's funny about her is that she can kind of play that... Um, 
over 40 but sexy thing, but she can also play somebody that's just so stern oh. and and she pulls an about face like nobody else. I think she's really very underrated. Yeah. My, my guess is that by not playing the main roles that she obviously isn't getting, uh, she just works a lot more because she's yeah. getting all these bit parts. And I guess she does well with it. But, yeah, she uh, she stands out to me. Right. That's, she's so recognizable, but like always stands out, always steals the show. And her voice, you can't you can't duplicate her voice. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. We haven't really talked about the stepmother and stepsisters. I want to I want to touch on them for a little bit because their costumes are stunning. Um, to me, sometimes they don't necessarily fit in the Cinderella world that they're in. Um, to me, they kind of scream like Versace or something like really, really high fashion. Um, so it works for the characters. And I guess it really does work well against Cinderella to drive home the point that, you know, she's a peasant and they've stuck her in the kitchen in the basement. Um, but I think they're fantastic. And what I really, really like is that this time we didn't shy away from the real story of Cinderella and Disney actually goes for the jugular with the cutting off the feet. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was really surprised by that. And I think that the costumes and they're just their general attitude it all kind of melds into one. I sort of alluded to Christine Baranski before as sort of having that Mrs. Robinson thing going, that kind of seductive thing. She does it a little bit in The Grinch. Um, it's more subdued because it's a kid's movie. She could do it a little bit more in this. But you could see where those stepsisters are pulling a direct influence from her. She's, it's, it's, um, it's sort of unassuming and it's watered down, but you can see where she pulls the strings in that household a lot more than they lead on to in this movie. Oh, she's Chris Kardashian. She is ready to <laughs> sell her daughters out. Absolutely. I actually had that as a note. <laughs> now, I forgot where we are liter- literally, literally, if that's a real word. Did we do the, the Prince's two songs on the in the water yet? Did we pass that over i think we skipped them actually because we haven't talked about the princess yet at all okay that was just worth mentioning that that song i've never heard the audience you know they weren't really laughing too much in that movie for they were kind of into it seriously i think but that scene i heard the people just laughed i mean that was a, a showstopper at the end that's probably my favorite song in the movie like i love where they shot it and i love the two of them, because they're the anti-princess. They're, they're so goofy. You know, they're, they're playing up to it. They're not supposed to be smart. And one of them even says, if we're talking about, you know, the brilliant lyrics, is I'm not supposed to be smart. I'm, I was raised to be charming, raised not to be smart. Charming. Yep. Something to and that it's, effect. It's basically them being who's more macho, who's, who can tell how much worse they have it than the other, who deserves the princess more than the other. It was really a fun, a fun fight. It was basically them bickering exactly and you know they're ripping their shirts open yeah, it was, yeah. they kind of remind me of james marsden in enchanted a little bit yeah. not as eccentric as he is but it's kind of in that vein yeah we we reviewed that one a couple of weeks ago by this point now a couple of months ago and i don't hide the fact that i love james marsden in that movie i would and i said it then and i it's as true today and I was I almost was waiting for it in this movie because I forgot what we were watching. I was waiting for him to just kick a door in and start singing I've been dreaming of a true love kiss. <laughs> He's so good. He has the cornball thing going on. Um I would have loved to have seen them put him in this, but at the same time I, I don't think they wanted to recycle that character. It would have felt cheapened. I was thinking the same. I would have loved to see this too, but uh 
Yeah, but th- th- these two princes were really good. I think actually Meryl Streep cast Rapunzel's prince. She saw him in a play and oh, uh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. told Rob Marshall, like, yeah, you got to go check this guy out. And um, I love Chris Pine in this complete departure from every single thing that he's ever done. He's still the captain to me from Star Trek. It's very, very difficult to get that out of my head with him. Yeah, because even watching him in Wonder Woman last year, I'm still like, oh, that's Captain Kirk. But he really, I mean, aside from playing the goofy prince, like in that scene where he's seducing Emily Blunt, too, like oh, he really sells best. it. Right? The best. Yeah. Yes. We'll get there because we're going to have plenty to say about that one. Oh, too. sorry. I jumped. I thought we were past everything. No, no, no. No, we're, we're getting there, though. But I thought we were getting to the false end. Sorry. No, go we're ahead. Gonna, we're going to put a pin in that. We're going to just leave that there because there's going to be a lot to be said about that. Um, so after she cuts the heel and the toe off of uh, her daughters, the stepmother's plan is foiled um, when the prince puts the shoe on Cinderella as they ride off into the sunset. Um, and it's that's that's part of where you think it's just about done or that the movie is starting to wrap up. And interestingly, she tried, she's like, no, no, she's too dirty. And which was amazing to me because they're saying, this is the order of the prince. We need to see every female in this village. And she was trying so desperately to have her not found at all. Right. Um, so, uh, after that happens, Rapunzel and her prince are reunited and her tears bring back his vision. The baker and his wife reconvene with their newly purchased cow to replace the one that has died, uh, which the baker has covered in flour to make it appear white. Um, we don't know that just yet. It's not until the witch comes, she tells them that she can bring Milky White back from the dead. And Meryl says it's so nonchalant. She's like, bring me the cow. I can bring it back. <laughs> Um, I love her delivery there. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that scene in the Sandlot. Right at the end of the movie, you get James Earl Jones um, is Old Man Myrtle. And the kids have been trying to get this Babe Ruth baseball back for 90 minutes. They've knocked fences down. They tore apart the, the um, not the Bicentennial, the 4th of July celebration. They've gone into a movie theater and wreaked havoc. And he goes... Why didn't you just knock on the door? I'd have gone in the back and gotten it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of like, that was, that, I got the same reaction out of that. Um, so she tells him that she can bring it back from the dead and tells them after she does bring it back to feed the items to the cow that they have retrieved. That's when they reveal to her that um, Rapunzel's hair is the hair that is yellow as corn and we know that that's not going to work because the witch has previously touched it. So at the suggestion of Jack, they use the hair off the corn instead, which works. The cow begins to milk. The witch drinks from the milk. Her beauty comes back. The baker's wife is immediately pregnant and Cinderella marries her prince. Um, and that's where we think that the movie's over. As it turns out, the celebration is short lived. I did think the immediately pregnant was pretty funny. Yeah. She turns she around and she's to got like a belly. Full eight or nine months. Yeah. Nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love, before we move on, I love yeah. James Corden's reaction to that too when she's like, I touched the hair. And he's like, Well, how were we supposed to know that? Now, I didn't know much about him prior to this movie. Obviously, I think a lot of people know him as having the late night show um, replacing the old Conan O'Brien spot. Um, but 
he's really good in this movie. And you can see where that, um, what is that, carpool karaoke that he does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can see where he's uh, musically inclined and he does kind of respect the craft a little bit. Not the strongest singer. Can we agree on that? I think yeah. the rest of this cast buries him. Okay. When like, he sings his song, I was like, ah, it's a little, it's a little rough. He's not, um, he's not Russell Crowe and Les Mis bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll definitely give you that. I mean, I love the carpool karaoke, but that's, you know, it's it's more fun and light. For this, I think he just gets swallowed by the rest of the cast because you have such talented people around him. Yeah, it's not that it's unacceptable. I just remember knowing, oh, this guy's not a singer. You know, he's not. And he really hadn't done a lot of film before this, though. Right. That was the other thing that was kind of remarkable to me. Like, he's he's impressive in that regard, is that he hasn't really cut his teeth in film yet. Yeah. Um, so the giant's wife now descends from this second beanstalk, um, to avenge her husband who was killed by Jack. The giant's wife has the grace of the Statue of Liberty from Ghostbusters (laughs) 2. And I don't know who this actress really is, and I don't want to insult her, but she has the best ugly British looking face that I've ever seen. Yeah, something LaFleur, I think was her last name. I think so. But she's yeah. perfect for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like if I met her and she was like five foot ten, I'd probably be disappointed. Like she yeah. just, <laughs> she seems like the type of person where she'd be like a husky six foot five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that they had to use a lot of camera tricks in this because she does look like she's she's built. Yeah, I, I I half expect to find out. Well, no, she she coaches in the WNBA. Didn't you know this? <laughs> like, no. Um, so she wants to get Jack, and she wants him bad. So they all split up to find him first, because at this point, he's nowhere to be found. Um, the baker's wife stumbles upon the prince, who kisses her, betraying Cinderella. Let's talk about how Captain Kirk is now kissing Mary Poppins in the middle of nowhere. Because <laughs> anything can happen in the woods. It's true. It's funny that you say that, too, because <laughs> you talked about the woods being a metaphor. I think the woods is a metaphor for life, by the way. Absolutely. Only because of some, right, because of the end, sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods, do not let it grieve you. That sticks with me, but we'll, we'll get to that at the end. But yeah, uh she makes a bad decision. She makes a horrendous decision. And at first, she's very conflicted, but she seems like she wants to do it. And I felt that before you had even mentioned it today, um, there was a line where um, James Corden's Baker character, Emily Blunt, points out to him like, oh, you've changed. It's the woods. Like, I think the woods is a metaphor for not just the things that you should acquire in life but i think it's also it's a deep dark place for your deep dark secrets absolutely yeah that's a really good point and especially too like that's that's really her character arc because in the beginning when she meets cinderella she's more interested in the ball and the prince than she is what this girl is doing running through the woods in gold slippers so i think that that's always kind of been there but I I guess the part that's weird for me and this is one of the things that I I don't always like about the film is that the focus was always so much on 
they can't have a child and you think that that's what their problem as a couple is. But clearly there's a lot more, there's a lot more issues that they were having within their marriage. But I feel like they didn't expose enough of that. I feel like when it gets to this point, it's like, oh, all of a sudden she's cheating on her husband and it kind of comes seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. It's, you know, it is, it's the situation. She's smitten by him being a prince, by him being good looking, by him being charming. It's almost that she's powerless to him. She tries to get away. He turns around. It's kind of funny the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And that, but the song also after she cheats is amazing to me about how um, how we would love this moment is so great and we'd love to have it last forever but if it lasted forever it wouldn't be a moment so you yes. unless right and then the end of it is i forget how she puts it but that she's you know she's it's time to leave the woods it's time to you know get back to life and she now appreciates her husband more than she did if she didn't do it. It's a, it's pretty amazing at the end of the, 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 what she goes through. Right, and I think that song is called Any Moment. I think that's the name of that so. song. I think so. Oh, yeah, Any Moments, Moments in... Yeah. It's cut off on our computer screen. We, <laughs> <laughs> we can click on it, though. Um, but I, I guess maybe that's part of her character arc, too, is that um, this falls under the be careful what you wish for point of the film is that she did get to act upon what she secretly wished and then you know maybe realized it's not all it's cracked up to be especially because the prince is a moron (laughs) yeah and 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 they alluded to it much earlier in the film when cinderella and the baker's wife have their first conversation um a very nice prince and that's the irony he's a very nice prince but he no he's 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 the exact opposite of a very nice prince He's a very dumb prince. He's not only a very dumb prince, but he's not a good person. Right. Because he's willing to betray his his wife and also put somebody else's wife in a very awkward position with her husband. So, yeah, he's not a very nice prince at all. And at all. Yeah, he does continue to push her after she says no. Yeah. Um, and he's completely unapologetic about it. Right, he doesn't care about the consequences for her at all. Right, right, because he's a prince. There are no con. No, no. no it's going to happen to him. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, but again, Pine being great, and Pine actually surprised me with his voice. Um, you know, because now he's sung a couple of times, and he really did a nice job. And it was just hokey enough yes. without being too over the top. Yeah, I remember um, the audience laughed at that too when yeah. he would turn around and go back for her and then try to leave and then turn around again. And I was like, the audience did laugh at that. Yeah, it was done. It was done in a way where it didn't get old. Yeah, sometimes you see those sticky things get old. They beat the dead horse, yeah. 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 In or the, this dead case, cow. The, dead, the dead cow. But, the dead uh, cow. <laughs> but no, yeah, it was, it was really well done. Um, I think the music in all is just phenomenal. Um, so while the baker's wife is trying to flee from the giant's wife she slips and falls from a cliff and is killed um yeah this got dark really quick (laughs) which is exactly what i remember thinking when we saw the film and you alluded to it before john where sometimes you're happy just ending the movie where we believe the natural ending would have been yes it's i understand they're trying to create drama but sometimes as i watch this i wonder is this is this necessary 
Yeah, I feel like her punishment almost didn't fit the crime. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's infidelity. It's awful. But I almost feel like this was like a, a, a biblical punishment almost. Like that's what you would do. You it was know. very Friday the 13th where the every time the teenagers had sex, they had to go. Yes. Yeah. I kind of exactly. felt like that's what that's exactly that's that's the perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're now we're in a we're in a scene from Scream right now. <laughs> Don't you know the rules? <laughs> exactly. But it's but it's true. No, it, it's very much as you pointed out. I mean, obviously what she did was terrible, but did the punishment fit the crime? Yeah, part 2 is all consequences for all the actions, which is why I rather watch, you know, the first part and just be happy. I understand it's part of the movie and you really should see it, but it's like, wow, okay, we're all, you know, all the consequences are coming. Mm -hmm. Well, because it almost turns into like a Greek tragedy. I mean, I have to say when they have the royal wedding and everything, I was watching it and it almost felt like an abrupt ending, not being familiar with the musical and not knowing what was coming. So what they did really well about it was like they create a feeling I don't want to say attention because clearly you have no idea what's about to happen but you do kind of know it's not over yet but then from here I feel like we're on such a slippery slope and everything gets so chaotic so fast and it it almost does play out like a Greek tragedy is that like you you're dealing with loss and death and an unhappy marriage and infidelity and you know now you've you've even got orphans in play now (laughs) orphans (laughs) <laughs> although it wouldn't be a disney movie without an orphan so that's true <laughs> yeah yeah but I this time we actually <laughs> see it play out like we see in the moment the loss that they're experiencing oh you mean it's not mother mother well, we've never reviewed bambi <laughs> but eventually we're going to and i'm going to have to get through that review and try not to say that over and over again because this is not the first time that i have <laughs> referenced bambi on, on the show. show um Actually, my favorite song in this entire film happens right about now. Your fault. Yep. When they sing, it's oh. all your fault. Um, you want to talk about snappy dialogue and cutting quickly back and forth and back and forth between everybody. Um, this is going between the witch, Cinderella, Jack, Red, and the baker's wife, and they're constantly going back. Well, uh, so oh, well, you made this happen, so it's your fault. Yes, I made this happen, but it only happened because of this. Oh, and then it's so it's your fault. So they're all they all went from we all work together to make this wonderful thing happen to turning on each other in a snap, a snap, in an absolute snap. But I thought that, um, I was really impressed with not only the lyrics, but again with these actors because this plays out so quickly the music is is a high tempo they're getting their words off real fast it's easy for you to get lost in it but but I don't find myself being lost in it I just I feel like they pulled it off so well that they kept everything as condensed as they could and this song's only a minute and 39 seconds long but it feels like it drags on forever it as you does. watch the movie it feels like it's a lot longer yeah what I love most about it, and forgive me, Panda, just indulge the film geek for a second, is that um, you hardly notice the editing. It almost feels like it's being done straight with no cuts because the camera is tracking uh, the accusers. And then when they say it's your fault, they kind of throw and flip to the accusee so that it's like this point of view shot. It's it's flawless. It's amazing. No, I, I love that you noticed that, actually. Sometimes when I do a video, I'll say to somebody, did you notice the other 
camera, you know, how we had two cameras or something. And they're like, no. And I'm like, all right. And I don't realize that's a good thing that they don't notice it. But yeah, I get what you're saying. That you really don't notice the editing as you're as you're playing it. But like, I went back for that scene, and I was like, all right, how did they do this? Because it's it's kind of like a tennis match the way that they throw it right, back and right, forth. Right. It's amazing. Um, so the witch is then dragged into a tar pit. Cinderella calls out her prince for his infidelities, and the group devises a plan to use Jack as bait to lure the giant into their trap. The giant steps into the tar pit. She gets stuck, and thanks to some assist, uh, assistance from Cinderella's birds, um, in addition to some well-aimed shots from Jack and the baker, the giant falls and brings a tree down on top of herself, and the film, as it turns out, is a story that the baker is telling his crying son after the defeat of the dragon, or uh, of the, the uh, giant, I should say. I've been trying not to say dragon the whole time. I don't know why I got <laughs> halfway through this this review. I got dragon in my head, and I have no I'm idea. Thinking why. about the new Game of Thrones season. Perhaps, perhaps I am. The only fairy tale that's really not in this one is Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Um, oh, I never thought of that. How could they skip that? You're right. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Thinking back on it now, like, I don't know where they could have fit. Where it would have fit in. I don't know where anything would have fit in when they started this. Could you imagine having to come up with all this to mash these people together? It's That's difficult. The story's convoluted enough in itself, which, you know, as you said before, is like, we had to do this as a linear review because it, I wouldn't have been able to keep track of this. <laughs> I still can't. Talk about it. Yeah. It would have been interesting, but at this point, it's like, I think now you're just shoving too much into this movie. Um, as it is, this is almost like the Brothers Grimm version of the Avengers. So I, I think that sticking another one in there would have just been sticking it in for the sake of. I mean, we, we talked about how convoluted this movie is. You talked about it just now with how we had to do this as a linear review. Could you imagine sticking another, another character, character in with another no. story? No way. As it is... It's so convoluted that, you know, the witch in the beginning says that the baker has a sister who we learn is Rapunzel. He never meets his sister. That's crazy Wait, that they never tie never that meets, up. They, they do. They don't meet. No. no. The oh, closest wow. they come is the wedding. Yeah. Did not even think of that. They have one scene together and then that's it. They never put that family back together, which is interesting because everybody else experiences a loss and in that regard, they really haven't. They're the only ones who still have a family member. Yeah. And they don't get they don't get a happy ending. You know, are we at the end here? Yes. Yeah, we just got okay. to the end of the movie. Okay. What I think is really interesting too is one of the most important songs to me with one with all the important lyrics happens during the credits of this movie. Yes. When they wrap it up, it's basically I think they know the movie so long. You know, though it's deep, though it's dark, though it's... I mean, I know they do some of that, but it's really, it's a wrap-up of... It's kind of a positive wrap-up song, and I wish they somehow would have kept it. Yeah, especially considering how the movie otherwise ends on a downer. I will say, though, I love the fact that the movie ends with... It ends where it started. Yeah. And it comes that full-circle moment right. where it's not just a narrator. It's... We see where now he's starting to tell the story, the story to, right. the, to his son. Um, we did skip over two important songs. Um, Last Midnight. This is the song that Meryl sings right before she's dragged down into the tar pit. And what I really liked about this is that you kept count. They kept counting down the midnights um, because I think what was it three three days or three midnights to she find would all the items. You know, they would they would 
shoot the moon and then she would say one midnight passed whether right. it was her just kind of bellowing through the woods or she actually popped up and said you're down another day but what right. i i what i really like about it is again this movie so much of this movie is and this play and the way it's written is so full circle i love the fact that the last midnight we've already gotten the four items They've already had the child. Cinderella got married. You got your looks back. Yet here we are with the last midnight again. It's like, it's like you just, it's like a final destination sort of thing. We've talked a lot of horror movies in this review <laughs> about how it just keeps coming back around though. And in it's in her case, it's literal. I think she knows that this is her last midnight, but she's also telling them that unless you figure this out, this is your last midnight. Right, right, right. Her That's fate's already been determined. That's a point that it's actually the, a warning. Was the other song the one, the other song that Meryl Streep sings? We should we should talk about that. The one she sings to her daughter. Yes. yes. That's interesting that you bring it up too because that's my big note. And all right, I guess I'm going to hate on Meryl a little bit more. Um, that's where you see some bad lip syncing and you know that she's oh, not singing I live because she'll drag out notes. That. Oh, it's it's awful. I'm going back now to watch it. <laughs> yeah, there, there are parts where like that she's holding the note, which she sounds amazing. She sounds beautiful, but her mouth isn't moving and I just don't believe that uh. she's actually singing. But I will say this because I've hated on her so much. I love the transformation. I love that costume. I love the blue hair. I think that they just did such a cool transformation of this yeah. character. She looks amazing. It's not like the way you would think they would do it, like classic beauty with red lipstick. And, you know, she's like an older beauty, like almost senior citizen, rich beauty. You know. Yeah, and she's got like blue nails. She's kind of, you know, she's still got that like cool witchiness about her. Yeah, but not overdone at all. Right. Well, I think that was a lot of her too because they let her have a little bit of creative say. And she said that she didn't want it to be overdone. She wanted very little makeup. I think they put a nose piece and like a brow and maybe a chin on her when they, for a lack of better term, uglied her up. Um but she kind of wanted to stay plain. That was her decision. And I, in this case, I think it works. It did work, yeah. I love when they give some creative control to the actors because it does do something um, genuine to the film all the time. Totally. And I think when you have Meryl Streep, it's kind of just like, yeah, let her do her thing. Yeah, absolutely. But in the song that she sings to her daughter, um, yeah, I mean, you brought it up before. It's... It's a heartfelt song. It's it's one of the first times that you actually see this witch as not being just a witch. Right, right. That she has her reasons and it's all being protective. And, you know, as much as you want to think it's evil, it's really out of, uh, you know, some of it is evil. But it's really out of loving and protecting and not wanting, you know, her yeah. to be there. Absolutely. By the way, in the play, the Midnights, there are songs for them. Like One Midnight Gone and the characters say things Again, great word stuff. Like in the first part, they'll say the slotted spoon doesn't hold much soup. But then again, they'll say in the next time, but the slotted spoon can catch the potato. And it's a lot like huh. the story where, you know, these things that are very negative also can, kind of can be positive. Like there's nothing is just black and white. The world is full of these gray areas. And it just it makes you think if you really look into it, this movie makes you think. Yeah, what I love about it, too, is the way that it all wraps up is that 
or, you know, it's kind of another full circle thing is that they all went into the woods for personal gain. They all needed something, whether it was to, to go to the granny or they needed to sell the cow or each character had a motive. But now they have to work together to get out of the woods. And I yep. think that's a big lesson and a big takeaway from this movie. And it's like you said before, it's, it's like a metaphor for life is that sometimes, you know, you need to ask for help. Yeah. Yep. And the most innocent characters do get kind of a hopeful ending. Right, don't they live together, the, the baker and a couple of the others? The baker, they form Cinderella. a new family. Yeah, the baker, Cinderella, Red Riding Hood, and Jack. Um, yeah. Because Jack's mother, Jack's mother passes away on the most, like, Ugh. the most bizarre death of all time. It's kind of silly. She gets yeah. pushed. By the steward. By the steward. She's knocked unconscious, but then apparently dies, but we don't actually ever act, we don't see it happen. Like It doesn't even seem like something that she could die from. It's very strange. Yeah, and they just kind of leave her. Yeah, and all of, you know, it's it's not until later Jack's kind of like, where's my mom? And they're like, oh, the steward, we're sorry. Like, I don't even <laughs> think they actually come out and say it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, that was sort of weird uh, as well. Um, the last song I want to touch on is um, No One Is Alone, which is the song that the baker's wife sings to the baker because he was orphaned by his father and he was obsessed with not becoming his father. But in his obsession, he became the thing that he did not want to be, yeah. um, which is something that you see in film and in books and in theater all the time. Um, but... He abandons his son because his wife is no longer there to tell him what to do. And they have this really wonderful scene where he sees a vision of her and she sings to him and basically pushes him, you know, down the right path and says that you're not alone and we're here. And, and um, I thought that that was a really nice way to give her a send off because otherwise having her fall off a cliff for yeah. no apparent reason, I feel like that would have just been a very jagged ending. I agree. And at least she got to redeem herself. You know, she did something horrible, but she, there's a little redemption there that, you know, she she still does care for him. I think she she did truly love him. Yes, I think so as well. So Rob Marshall, Meryl Streep and Emily Blunt, their first foray together into Disney. Um and a couple of weeks ago now, the big release of Mary Poppins Returns. So we think this is a really nice tie-in. Um, and uh, Did you do Mary Poppins Returns yet? We didn't do it yeah. yet. We're going to wait All until right. it comes out on Blu-ray. Maybe we'll get, we have to give you a call for that one. Okay, I'm, I'm back. I, and I won't give you so much trouble as I did with this, with this one. Oh, no, not at all. It. We're so happy you came on the show with us. Thank you. I had a really good time. Yeah. But uh, we do have some news this week. And before before we move on to the news, we actually have a giveaway this week. We do. We have a giveaway this week. Yes. Um, thanks to uh, Average Joe Orlando. Yes. Friend of the show. He sent us some Disney park maps, uh, more specific ones to the, uh, to the holiday season. We know people love their Disney Christmas maps, their holiday maps. We have some of those. We have some Disney World Resort stickers. And we have a copy of... The Finest Hours, The Impossible Rescue, uh, which does star Chris Pine. Uh, Chris Pine, uh, Casey Affleck, Ben Foster, and Eric Bana. And no, not the awful Eric Bana from the Hulk movie. Um, this is actually a pretty good one. Um, and uh, yeah, so we have this one on Blu-ray and digital HD. We're giving this one away. Um, and we'll have some rules for that. We'll follow the same rules as we did the last time. 
Yeah, we'll post it all on our social media about yeah. how you can enter, how you can win. Yeah, you get points, you get entries for liking and retweets and follows and ratings, and we'll post all of that on the social. Um, but we do have some news this week, and John, while we have you on, we'd like to hear you chime in on a little bit of this, if you don't mind. You got it. So Disneyland Resort announced this week uh, a price hike, and everybody lost their minds because the prices <laughs> went up 5 to 10%. They went crazy. But see, here's the thing. For people out in California, as, as you, you all know, we did our review of Disneyland Resort a couple of weeks ago. It was our first trip out there. For them, where they only have two parks and it's very much a locals park, I can see to them where this is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I can only tell you every fan I've spoken to in Disneyland talks about the crowds and how they want less crowds and how they can't figure out what they're going to do with the crowds. And I keep hearing the crowds. And then when the prices go up a lot, everybody is freaking out. It's called supply and demand. And Disney's going to raise those prices until something breaks where they see a couple of less crowds. So everybody that says, oh, I'm not going to renew my annual pass right now, they're thankful. When Disney's not thankful, you'll see the specials and the prices go lower. It's, you know, I, I get it. If I lived out there, I'd be upset too. But if it's if, the, if Disney's that important to me, I'm going to pay for it. Right, of course. And, good point. And the other thing too is, what did anybody think was going to happen with when they, when they said that they were going to build Galaxy's Edge? What did you think was going to happen, realistically? You knew that this was coming. And Absolutely. So now a Disneyland ticket in peak season... A hundred and forty nine dollars a day for a one day ticket. Wow. Wow. But the other thing that is it is crazy. I can't wait to see if the. I still think the crowds are going to go. They're still going to go. And in reality, I mean, you're an annual pass holder down in, in Florida. Right. But I, I ask this question to everybody who go, oh, but Disney's so expensive. Disney's like one hundred and fifty dollars a day. It's like if you go to Disney, are you going to go for less than four or five days? No, usually not, right. Nobody's usually buying it. Right. Usually. I'm like, all right, so it's not going to be, it's not going to be that price to go for one day. I think so many people just hear the number and it scares them off. Right. And the more you go, the more break they give you. Right. Obviously, with the bigger ticket. Um, the other big news, actually, this broke a couple of hours ago. Disney and Verizon partnering together um, to bring speeds of 5G, which apparently. Um, can download 10 gigs of data per second. So here's my mentality. They're partnering up on this. Verizon already has it. Disney has this, this upstart studio labs thing that they've been working on. And they said that you can download a movie to a smartphone or a device in seconds rather than minutes. I feel like this has to be a direct connection to Disney Plus that's launching later this year. Very possible. Now, is this in Disney World? There is a partnership with AT and T. I wonder if they're dropping that and going with Verizon. Right, that's where it gets dicey. I'm one because AT and T sponsors not only inside the parks but also the My Disney Experience and the Disneyland app. Yeah. Right. Unless they're treating them as two separate entities, and Verizon's got the film and AT and T yeah. has the parks. Very well could be. It could be that. It also wouldn't surprise me if they're changing their sponsorship because they do so much now. We talk about the crowds. People get stuck on these lines for hours at a time, and now everything is so interactive. Play this game on your phone and do this on your phone and do that on your phone that if they get this partnership with Verizon to bring this 5G data and they somehow put signal boosters in the park, which isn't impossible, you're just going gonna, it's, it's gonna to drive more people onto the phones. So what are they doing? 
They're less concerned with the amount of time that they're spending on lines. They're more inclined to do mobile ordering. They're turning over food yeah, faster. They're booking thing. dining reservations. At the end of the day, it all comes back to the almighty dollar. Yep. That mobile ordering, by the way, is amazing. Oh, my God. We, we did, did it for the, it first, for the time. first time in Disneyland. We had no idea. Bengal barbecue. It helped so much. Andy's uh, Woody's lunchbox over at Toy Story Land. There was a line about 40 minutes, literally. I ordered. I got my food. I walked past them. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, you guys don't have to be in line. Stop it. Just do this mobile order and go pick up your food when it's done. Yeah. It's, it helps. It yeah. really does. And then we did it again at the Tiki Room. Um where we ordered the same thing. The Dole Whip line was about a half an hour long. Yeah, that but, was clutch to make it but, onto the ride. But when we when we ordered it mobile, when I tell you less than a minute, we yep. had them in less than a minute. Yep. Bengal Barbecue, I think we still waited like 15 minutes, but it was better than the Worth hour it. that other people were waiting. Yep, yep. Oh. I'm wondering how it'll be when everybody starts doing it. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, all of a sudden the secret's out. Right. Yeah, the secret's out. Uh, it's like when they first got the self-checkout at the grocery store, and it was great because you could just walk through and be like, I'm done, and now you still wait 10 minutes to get through self-checkout, at least here. Um, well, John, Big Fat Panda, thank you so much for joining us today and guys. being on this review. Why don't you go ahead, and we didn't really get a chance to do it before because we wanted to jump right into this movie. Um, Plus, he needs no introduction. He does, oh, but, but he stop. should. But he should. There's get a lot one. of people have no clue. But he should have one. That's well, what I'm saying. I want him. Where to can have our his listeners find you? If you go to bigfatpanda.com, that goes to my YouTube channel, and that is pretty much my my claim to fame. I focus on the YouTube channel, and uh, that's really about it. On uh, Twitter, I'm Big Fat Panda Show, and uh, Facebook, I'm my name for now. I might start a group on Facebook. I'm going to try Pandemonium or something because I I've reached my friend limit on Facebook, and now I'm that's it. I'm, I'm like done. I need to do something else. Yeah, I got, I got, I got in with you like a week before you hit your limit. So I was. Well, it's my fault. Because I'm out. I didn't even know there was a limit. Sorry, Jackie. No, <laughs> okay. there's so many people that I don't know. If you do, Jackie, friend me, tell me, and I'll get rid of somebody that I just has no interest. Like, <laughs> no, so, no, no there's that. people like from, you know, like I don't know, some weird country that they. It's a fake friend, so don't worry about. It. <laughs> I'm sure there's some of those. That's too funny. I'm sure there are. Um, but yeah, bigfatpanda.com. The videos are great. Um, I I found them a couple of years ago after listening to John do a review um, with Lou Mangello. I think it was show 365. Why am I Why am I plugging Lou's show? It was, and I, I remember 365. No, that's okay. Uh, because, uh, no, Lou's great. I love Lou. I love him. Um, I've had it up to here with him. Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always say that to him. You know, we're, hopefully we'll do more food reviews together. I, I really enjoy doing stuff with Lou. He's funny. Yeah. Um, but I found you on there, and then since then, uh, been watching the videos. And it took me a little bit of time, but I'm completely caught up now. Um, but the videos are great. And always intriguing content and great guests, people that just love the Disney community. So if you guys are looking for a, you know, something else to put into your Disney regiment, I mean, you can't get any better, I don't think, than the Big Fat Panda. Yeah, Thank we've not so much, planned a trip without consulting Panda. I knew something was up when Sean started like out Disneying me and we were planning a trip. And I was like, where are you getting all this information? Like, where did you find this food? How do you know about this trick? Like, where are you getting this from? And then he introduced me to your show. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Okay. There's still things like I like all of a sudden I hear Lou talking about cheeseburger egg rolls. And I'm like, how did I not know about this? Because I really do try to look up, up every under every rock and stuff. So I, it's always happening where 
you know, we're picking up and learning new things. Yeah, absolutely. But that's why we love Disney. It's always yeah. changing. There's always something new and exciting to find. I agree. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. For Jackie and John, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.